with you all this morning. If it's all right with you, I'm going to stand down here on the main floor for the Sunday school hour, have a little Bible study with you. And I am so happy to get acquainted with your pastor and with your church. I've heard so much about it. Uh, Brothers Simeon, Brazel, and Brittany, I think many of you know, and uh, they're working, coming this way to be with you shortly, God willing. Uh, I had the joy and privilege of teaching both of them in college. And so uh, they have told me so many amazing things about this church and it made me look forward to getting acquainted with some of the friends here in this place that they've told us about. But thank you for letting our family be with you this morning. Now, we're in a little different time zone in our minds. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, we, uh, we live in West Virginia on the east coast of the states, and so uh, we're 14 hours ahead of where our bodies are telling us we are right now. And so my family is with me today, which I'm glad about, and I'm telling you all this because I want you to keep an eye on them, and if they go to sleep, I want you to wake them up for me if you don't mind. Uh, let me just introduce my family. Tammy, if you'll stand for a second. That's my wife, 22 years, and I married up for sure. And then we have three children. Morgan, if you'll stand, she's 19. Lauren is 17. And Grant is almost 14. Later this month, he'll be 14. And I'm thrilled that they could travel with me. Uh, we're looking forward to the conference this week, but glad to be in your church today. Well, let's open the Word of God together uh, to the favorite gospel record of mine. I wonder how many of you have a favorite gospel record. You have a favorite. You know, the Gypsy Smith, who was an old preacher, said that God wrote five gospel records. And when I first heard that, I thought, what's he talking about? And then he said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the believer. And then he said, most people never read the first four. He was right about that. And he meant by that that the world is watching to see if the gospel of Christ has made a difference in our life. I hope it's made a difference in your life. But there are four gospel records not four Gospels. There's one Gospel. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But there are four Gospel records. So it would be like four vantage points of the same person, which is the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew gives one. Mark gives one. Luke gives one. John gives one. And my favorite of the four is the Gospel according to Mark. And so I'd like for you to open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel according to Mark, if you will, to Mark chapter number 3. And uh, I want to show you a portion of Scripture, lay a little foundation, and then, by God's grace and help, I want to come back to this gospel record and to a similar emphasis in the morning service. So all of you that came to Sunday school this morning to the Bible study hour, you're going to be ahead of everybody that comes in later, and you can help them find their place. I do love Mark for many reasons. One interesting thing about the gospel according to Mark is it has been referred to as the gospel of action. It is a fast-moving drama. As a matter of fact, 14 of the 16 chapters begin with the word and. <laughs> so it, once you start reading it, it just, man, it moves along. It keeps moving. And for people of action, it is a, a powerful gospel record. Uh, Mark wrote to the Roman mind, and the Romans thought that way, you know, people of action, get it done. And Mark emphasizes the hands of Jesus and the works of Jesus uh, much more than his words. Uh, there was a man years ago that was studying in a secular university in Germany, and there were a group of people in that university that hated Christ, hated the Christian faith, and they did everything they possibly could to try to tear down that man's faith. And his, his uh, practice was every day at the end of that day's study, he would go back to the apartment where he stayed, and he would read through the entire gospel according to Mark every night. 
And he said it was amazing how quickly you could read through it because it flows so, so quickly. It goes together. But he said that this gospel record was the thing that helped him not to lose his faith in Christ. And uh, it's a powerful record. As a matter of fact, if you've never read through it at one sitting, I'd like to challenge you to do that. Not while I'm preaching this morning, but sometime on your own time. Sit down and read through the gospel according to Mark. And if you can do this, read it out loud. It will take on a new meaning to you, I think. And it has truly become my favorite of the four gospel records. Let me just ask, uh, how many of you would say Matthew is your favorite? Anybody just love the gospel according to Matthew? Anybody like Mark? That's your favorite. Anybody like Luke? Luke is the doctor, right? And then how many of you love John, the gospel according to John? That's everybody's favorite, it seems. Poor old Matthew and Mark. We need to help them, don't we? And uh, maybe you'll love Mark a little more after we study today. Look at Mark chapter 3. Let's begin our reading in verse 13. It's a reference to Jesus, and the Bible says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And then we have a list. Now, pay real close attention to the list because this same list is given in multiple places in the gospel records, and in each place there are certain things that are, are similar. That's very interesting. Look at verse number 16. And Simon, he's surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to ponder it. And as a matter of fact, if you've got a pen or pencil, something to write on, I want you to get it out, because I'm going to ask you to write a few things down this morning and mark some things in your Bible with this thought that you'll go back and meditate on these things. Study it for yourself. And here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Which disciple are you? Which one of these disciples are you? Uh, you know, it's interesting, but the Lord Jesus called common people. How many of you are glad he called common people? And uh, we're just common people, and the Lord uses common people. But he chose common people. I'm talking about everyday fishermen and run-of-the-mill kind of people, folks who are not, uh, not the elite class, not the, not the hierarchy of society, just common folks. But when he chose them, he chose very different people. Personality-wise, they're different. Their backgrounds are different. Uh, some of them uh, had grown up even in a religious way in a different aspect. Uh, this list is very revealing. For example, who's first on the list? Somebody look at it and tell me. Who, who's first on his list? Who is it? Right, Simon Peter. And every time you have the disciples recorded, Simon Peter is always first. And he's going to be the leader. He's going to be the one that the Lord Jesus really leaves in charge when he's gone. Remember, when I'm gone, you're going to feed my sheep, feed the lambs. So he's going to become the leader. If you look at the first three names that's given, you have the inner circle. I'll come back to that thought in just a moment. But these are the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that were closest to Christ. They were the ones uh, whose, whose lives, I think, uh, were 
perhaps more drastically changed than the others. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment from Scripture. Uh, whose name is the last on the list? You go to the end of it. Who's last? Now, Judas is always last. If you look at the list of the disciples in all four gospel records, uh, the, the order varies a little bit. Even the names vary, not because there are 12, uh, more than 12 men, but because some of them went by more than one name. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But on every list, some things are common. Peter's always first. Judas is always last. Judas, of course, I believe, was not a true follower at any point. Uh, it wasn't that he knew Christ as his Savior and then lost that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 17 that he had kept those that the Father had given to him. So Judas was never a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, he hangs himself. He goes to his own place. It's a reference to hell. Uh, he was an unbeliever who was gathered with believers. Stop and look at me for just a moment. May I remind you that it's possible that people could even sit in a building like this and not truly know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They could go through the motions of a Bible study. They could dress up for church. They could say all the right things and sing the hymns, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Matter of fact, Judas was probably more polished and refined than Peter, I would say. Matter of fact, if you made the list, you probably would put Judas near the top. Everybody else thought he was such a trustworthy person. They let him hold the money. That's pretty trustworthy. He held the bag. He was the treasurer of the church. Think of that. He was the fellow that everybody said, now that's somebody you can trust. The problem was that he had never trusted Christ. See, if I go stand in a garage, that doesn't make me a car, does it? And if I sit in a church, that doesn't make me a Christian because it doesn't change my nature. It doesn't change what I am on the inside. There are other interesting things in this list. There are, there are two men named John, not to be confused with one another. There are two Jameses in the group. There are two Simons in the group. There are two sets of fishermen brothers. That could get a little confusing, couldn't it? Uh, it's a, quite an eclectic group. Uh, by the way, it's a beautiful picture to me of what the church is supposed to be like. Everybody look around just a moment. Would you please don't look at me. Everybody look around. Stare at your neighbor for a second. Just look at the person next to you. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. I'm sorry about that. I didn't cho choose who you sat next to today. Uh, you know, this, this room, I'm just looking around. This made up of different people, different backgrounds, different upbringing, different experiences, maybe different languages. And yet, aren't you glad we're all made one in Christ Jesus? I'm an evangelist. I travel all the time. Every week of my life, I'm in a different place. As a matter of fact, last Lord's Day, last Sunday, I was in the New England region of the United States. I was in, um, I had to think for just a moment where I was. I was in Connecticut preaching. And the New Englanders, they're an interesting group, let me tell you. And now here I am a week later, and I am around the world. I'm in Australia. And yet, one of the things that I rejoice in as an evangelist is I can go anywhere in the world. I can get off of an airplane with nothing but my Bible and come into a place like this and see people and be with people that I've never been with in my life. I don't know you. And you don't know me, but in about five minutes, I can feel very much at home. You know why I feel at home? Because we're part of the same family. How many of you know the Lord is your Savior? All right, now, whether you know this or not, whether you like this or not, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you have the same father, you're members of the same family. And only the Lord has this ability to bring people from all these different backgrounds together 
and make them one and bring unity. That's all found in the person of Jesus Christ. But now here's what I want to bring you back to. Look at the list. Just stare at the list for a moment. Ordinary men, different men, but I, it's not their personality I'm interested in this morning. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes in church we make way too much of personality and not enough of spirituality. I want you to look at the list a moment, and I want to ask you if, if you had to say, this is, this is who I am, this is who I most identify with in this group, who would it be? God forbid that it be Judas. Perhaps at times, especially when we open our mouths and say something we shouldn't say, we all identify with Simon Peter a lot, don't we? And yet, every one of these men reflects something that we can identify with. And yet, look at the list carefully. There are three men at the top of the list that are referred to oftentimes by Bible teachers as the inner circle. doesn't mean the Lord loved them anymore. Aren't you glad he loves all of us perfectly with an everlasting love? But it means that for some reason, these three men came to a place of intimacy and nearness to Christ in a greater way than even the other disciples. Now, they're all followers of Christ, but there are three that got really close to Jesus. As a matter of fact, this is an interesting little study, and you can find it all in the gospel according to Mark. Maybe this will get you to read and study Mark a little more. Did you know that there are actually three occasions where Jesus took only these three men with him? Three times, and they're all recorded, the gospel according to Mark. Three times that he left the rest of the disciples in one place and only took Peter, James, and John. Why did he take them further? I think it was because they had the heart to go further. They had the desire in them to become everything God wanted them to become, and God was going to use them in an amazing way. But let me give you a few thoughts here that will help all of us because if you're a Christian and you raised your hand a moment ago and said, I believe in the Lord and I'm a follower of Christ, I want to ask you a question. Are you content to simply say you're a follower of Jesus, or do you truly want to be the follower of Christ that God saved you to become? I'll tell you what I'm convicted about. I'm convicted that we've got far too many people who are content to say they're Christians without truly becoming like Jesus Christ, who are happy to say, I'm saved, praise God, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. And yet while they're on earth, they're not becoming the person God wants them to become. It's almost like they have, they've taken on this mentality, well, look, I got enough of Jesus so I don't go to hell, and now I'm just going to kind of float through this world and float through this life till I see Jesus someday. Let me tell you something. The reason you're breathing right now is because God has more for you. How many of you are alive? Would you raise your hand, please? If your neighbor didn't raise her hand, check on them, would you please? If you're breathing right now, there's a reason for that. It means God's not through with you. He wants you to go further with him. He wants you to take another step with him. And I know who I'm speaking to this morning. Very intentionally, I'm speaking to the Sunday school crowd. I'm, I'm speaking to the people in the core of the church, the committed people, the people that get up and come early to the Bible study. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I believe this with all my heart. I've grown up in church all of my life. My, my daddy was a preacher. And I've grown up around this, and I'm convinced of something, that sometimes the people who miss the most are the ones who know the most. But those of us who've been saved a long time, and then we've heard a lot of Bible, and we, we know all the hymns, and we love the Lord, and people would say, that's a great Christian right there. That many times we have found a plateau, and we've settled in, and we're just maintaining instead of advancing because we've grown content with where we are as a Christian. Do you know who some of the most arrogant people in the whole world are? 
Some of the most arrogant people in the world are the people that know all the answers. And you know why that is? Because Paul said, knowledge puffeth up. And sometimes you can get a head full of Bible knowledge and know all the answers, but your heart isn't pursuing Christ like it used to pursue Christ. Do you remember when you first got saved? Remember how hungry you were for the Bible, how, how much you wanted to pray, how excited you were to share your faith, how, how, how passionate you were about knowing Christ in a greater way? Let me ask you a question. Do you have more of that today or less? Is it possible we've settled in and we're not really being the disciples God called us to become? Let me give you some thoughts. They all come right from our text. Go back to verse 13. Let's just start here. The Bible says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And let's just look at this phrase. And they came to him. So write this down. Would you please, number one, we're going to talk about this this levels of disciples. Number one, there are those who come to him. That's where everybody starts, by coming to Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, what was Christ's first word to his disciples? If you read in the gospel records when he came along, he looked at Matthew one day. Matthew was collecting taxes and stealing, skimming off the top. And he looked at Matthew and he says, you, you, you come follow me. And what did Matthew do? He left everything, came to Jesus. He sees, he sees those fishermen brothers, James and John, out there mending the nets. And he says, hey, fellas, he said, you all come, you follow me. And they get up, they leave their daddy, and they become followers of Christ. I want to say to you, this is where it always begins. It always begins by coming to Jesus Christ. How do people get saved? Not by coming to a church, by coming to Jesus. Brother Mansour and I were talking about this last night. I think we've made a mistake. I really think we've made a mistake even in witnessing. Because even in witnessing and talking to people about our faith, do you know where we always start with people? Come to our church. Let me ask you a question. In Scripture, do you find people having conversations about their church or conversations about Christ? See, I think sometimes we're, we're trying so hard just to find an entry point. Come to our church. Come to our church. Let me just tell you a little secret. Nobody's really looking for a church. They don't even know what they need. But I'll tell you what everybody in the world is looking for. Purpose, meaning, forgiveness, joy, help. Guess where you find all of that? In Jesus Christ. So when you're talking to people about the Lord, begin with Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Look, you don't join a church. You become one with Christ, and when you become one with Christ, now you want to be with God's people. You don't appreciate the body until you accept the head. They've got to know Jesus. So every disciple begins at the same point. Do you know where everyone begins? Everybody begins by simply coming to Jesus Christ. For me, that happened 37 years ago. 37 years ago, a lady took a Bible. It wasn't a preacher. It was a lady. She took a Bible, and she told me that God loved me, and Jesus died for my sins. She told me that he rose from the dead, and he wanted to be my Savior. It was the greatest day of my life. On that day, I, I wouldn't even expressed it this way. I didn't even know this term then. But you know what I did that day? I came to Jesus. He came to earth for me, I came to him in simple faith, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ on that day. But now please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Can I tell you what the Christian life is? Keep on coming. See, we got too many people who've come to Jesus, 
and they've, they've prayed and received Christ their Savior. They've even gotten baptized, and they say, all right, check that box. I'm a follower of Jesus. Followers are never stationary. They're always moving forward because Hudson Taylor said God is always advancing. So if the Lord's on the move, guess what the followers are doing? They're on the move. It means, and I'm not talking about geographically, I'm talking about spiritually, you keep on coming. You keep coming to the Lord. So let me just ask a personal question of every believer in this room. What's the next step for you? For you, what's the next step? There's probably somebody in this room that's never followed Jesus in believer's baptism. That's the next step for you. Or maybe you're in this church, you've been saved and baptized, but you're not a member of this church. I don't know what it's like in Australia. It may not be that this way here. But in America, the, the, the trend now is that people want to be attenders of churches but not members of churches. They like to come in and sit and observe, but they don't really want to really commit. Well, I want you to know, you read the book of Acts, they joined themselves to a company of believers. They belonged there, and they were excited about it. They weren't spectators. They were participants. Well, maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is... Uh, personal Bible study, or your next step is your prayer life, or your next step is begin sharing your faith. But I promise you, I don't care. Look, I've been a Christian 37 years. Uh, we've not apprehended. Look, if Paul hadn't yet arrived, I promise you we haven't yet arrived. So everybody in this room has some next step. And whatever that is, by the way, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Number one, I don't know what your next step is. And I could start giving a list of things, but look, the Holy Spirit's telling you right now what it is. I, he's the real preacher. I just work for him. You've got to determine between you and Christ what the next step on your journey is to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus. Look at that verse. Look at verse 13 again for a moment. And when I stop, you say the next word. Look at verse 13. And he goeth. Let's review. When I stop, you say the next word, all right? Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Ready? And he goeth what? Circle that word in your Bible. I want to say to you, there's a beautiful symbolism in this. He takes them up into a mountain. Watch this, please. When you follow Jesus, it's always an upward step. Sin and disobedience, always downward. But when you follow Jesus, friends, let me tell you what, the Lord lifts you up. There's a great old hymn that says, Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table and a higher plane that I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. We live in the mountains. Our, our state is called in the U.S. the mountain state, West Virginia. We live about 3,200 feet above sea level. So we have a lot of snow in the winter and uh, just, you know, beautiful place. I've always loved the mountains. I've always loved the mountains. And I love the coast. And uh, we, we love visiting places like this. But I love living in the mountains. May I say to you that the Christian life should be an ever-ascending life. Set your affection on things what? Above, not on things below. In other words, when you're following Jesus, you're taking upward steps, upward steps to become more and more like the Lord Jesus. The Bible says the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Not less and less, more and more. Why are we so content with less and less when Jesus has more and more for us? So it begins by coming to the Lord Jesus. By the way, look at the verse again. Notice this, please. Notice what his desire is. The Bible says, calleth unto him whom he would. I love that. It doesn't really begin with their will. It begins with his will. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
God's will for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's God's will, it's Christ's will, that you and I get very close to Him, come nearer to Him. So do you see the picture? Do you see these disciples following Jesus? Watch them, following Jesus. Where are they going? They're going up into a mountain. Watch this. Above the fray, above the crowds, above the ordinary life, alone with Jesus in the mountain. Do you see a picture here? Watch this, please. Jesus is saying to you, look, let's get out of the fray. I know you're living in the real world. I know there's problems everywhere. But let's, let's take a step above the masses, uh, above the ordinary life. Let's go higher with the Lord Jesus. It begins by coming to Jesus. Number two, what kind of disciple are you? First, there are those who come to Christ. Secondly, notice this, there are those who commune with Christ. Look at verse 14. And he ordained 12 that they should be, and I think this is one of the greatest secrets to the victorious life. I want you to circle the next two words. Right in the heart of verse 14 is the heart of the whole thing. That they should be what? With him. The preposition is a revelation. With him. By the way, that little word with, how many of you believe every word of Scripture is given by God? Do you all believe that? I believe it. I believe every word. God doesn't use fillers. Nothing's there by accident. Everything's on purpose. Why did Jesus say he wanted them to be with him? Did you know the word with here is the most intimate word that can be used for being with a person? It doesn't just mean I'm a casual acquaintance. It means I'm really close to that person. We, we, are, we become one. It's the same word Jesus used in John 17 at the end of his life when he prayed for the disciples. And he said to the Father, Father, I want them to be with me where I am. Let me ask you a question. When you go to heaven someday, do you want to be with Jesus or not with Jesus? I want to be with Jesus. Oh, let me watch this now. The same word he used for heaven, he uses for here. See, it's going to be great to be with him someday, but isn't this glorious? Oh, this is wonderful. God's made a way that you can be with him now. Somebody said, I tell you, one day when all these problems are gone and I don't have all this to deal with, it's going to be wonderful to be with the Lord. May I say to you that the victory is not at the end of the battle, it's in the midst of the battle. God has made a way for you to be with Christ right now. And there's a beautiful secret here. Not only did they come to Christ, now they're learning to commune with Him. They're spending time with Him. I'm going to tell you one step I know every person in this room needs to take. Every one of us, including the preacher talking to you right now, needs to go a step further, deeper, higher in our own personal daily communion with Jesus. As a matter of fact, sometimes we let church take the place that only Christ should take. So what do you mean by that, preacher? I mean by that sometimes we content ourselves with coming and hearing the pastor talk about the Lord instead of personally every day entering into the presence of the Lord ourselves. See, the only Bible you get is the Bible you get in the four walls of this building. Though you got a great Bible preacher. Aren't you grateful for a faithful Bible preacher? But let me just tell you something. If that's the only Bible you get, you're never going to be the follower of Jesus you are today. I need to hear him every day. And I need to talk to him every day. My wife and I, we've been married for 22 wonderful years. And uh, we got married on Friday the 13th. Some people think Friday the 13th is, a, is an unlucky day. For me, it was the greatest day of my life. 22 years ago. Let me ask you a question. What would you think of me as a husband if I said, I told her I loved her 22 years ago. We don't talk much anymore, but we're married. Somebody would say, well, you're not a very good husband. She's not going to put up with that very long. No, you're exactly right. You know why? That's not healthy. We talk all the time. Matter of fact, when we're not together, I travel a lot, and when we're not together, you can ask her. We talk a lot. 
on the phone. Praise God for FaceTime and technology and all that kind of thing. One of the kids said to her the other day, they were with her someplace when I was out of town, and we had talked four or five times that day, and one of the, I don't remember which one, one of them said, when Dad's gone, you all sure talk a lot. Do you know why that is? Because I want to stay in contact. I, I want to maintain the conversation, the communion, the connection. But let me ask you a question. Why on earth would we do that more in human relationships than we do with the greatest relationship in our life, which is our relationship with God? We say we love Jesus and don't talk to him for three days. Does that sound like we really love someone? We say we're committed to him, but we hadn't opened our Bible for two days. And we've got to find it and dust it off to bring it to church. Wait a minute. Something's missing here. This is not something to do every day. This is someone to commune with. And I believe this all my heart. It was that communion that set every other thing in motion in the lives of these disciples. Look at the rest of the verse. Would you look at the rest of the verse for just a moment? The Bible says, He ordained twelve that they should be with Him and that He might send them forth to preach and to have power. Watch the and. Look at what grows out of this communion with Jesus Christ. Everything grows out of it. They don't go preach first. They don't heal sickness first. They don't cast out devils first. I'm going to tell you what we got. We got a Christianity today where everybody's trying to do all the Christian things without spending time with Jesus. Maybe that's why we got a bunch of miserable Christians in the world. Because they're trying to do all the right things without enjoying Him. Let me tell you a little secret. You learn to enjoy Him every day. You'll want to do the right things, and you'll have His power to do it. He gave them purpose, and He gave them power when? When they spent time, here's the words, with Him. So number one, there are those who come to Christ. Number two, there are those who commune with Christ. But now here's the point I want you to get. Would you write it down? There are those who are closest to Christ. And we come full circle, back to where we started. Look at the list again. You have the list of the 12, but there are three at the top of the list, those closest to Christ. There are Peter, there are James, and there are John. Let me tell you some things that I have learned from the lives of these three men. First of all, he changed him. See, when, when Jesus starts working in you, he loves you where you are, but he refuses to leave you there. He accepts you right where you are. He just doesn't want you to stay right where you are. He wants to make you into what he wants you to be. Now, this is powerful. You ready for this? There are 12 disciples, but three of them he renamed. And only three of them. Guess who the three are? Anybody want to guess? Peter, James, John. Look at it. Look at it. What well, the Bible says in verse 16, his name was Simon, but Jesus surnamed him Peter. That's interesting. Uh, the, the picture here of a rock. He said, I'm going to take a, a little pebble and I'm going to make a rock out of you. I'm going to take nothing and make something out of you. And then look at verse 17. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, the sons of thunder. By the way, little parenthesis here, all right? This, just, this is an extra one. If you actually study the life of James and John, do you know what you're going to find? You're going to find they were basically timid fellows. That in some ways, for example, their mother is the one who asked Jesus if they could sit on the right hand and left hand. I mean, these are grown men whose mother is speaking for them. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, these are not the sons of thunder you might imagine, but, oh, this is glorious. You ready for this? Jesus didn't rename them because of what they were. He renamed them because of what they were going to be. Study the Old and New Testament. Every time God renames somebody, it's always to bring them more in line with the identity he has for them. Abram, Abram, you think you're something? Hi, Father, Abram, I'm going to make you Abraham, father of a multitude. That's right. 
See, every time the Lord changes a man's name, he's really trying to change his character, trying to change his heart, trying to change who he is. So if you want to be close to Jesus, you better get ready for some changes. It's a funny thing. Everybody wants to be close to Jesus. Everybody just doesn't want the Lord to rearrange the furniture in their life. Well, let me tell you, when the Lord moves in and he does move in, he doesn't rent, he buys. And he doesn't move in and out, in and out, in and out. No, no, he moves in to stay, and when he moves in, he brings his own furniture. And he gets rid of the things in your life that don't please him. He's changing. He's transforming them. But now watch this. Then he's going to use them. Look at the top three, Peter, James, and John. Peter is the oldest of all the disciples. James will die first, and John is the youngest. You want to talk about three fellows that don't seem to go together. And yet the Lord puts them together, and the Lord's going to use them in an amazing way. Peter, he's going to preach on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls will be saved. He'll be crucified upside down in Rome. Think about that. James, James will become a pastor. He'll be beheaded for his faith. John, John will not live all the rest of the disciples. He'll go to the Isle of Patmos. He'll receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he'll die as an old man, having been persecuted by Nero. He was dipped in a vat of oil, burned by the emperor exiled to Patmos all alone, and yet these three men, do you understand how much of your New Testament was written by Peter, James, and John? Do you realize how much of the foundation of the Christian church was laid by Peter and James and John? Read the book of Acts. Now watch this, please. The reason God used them is because they were willing to get close to Jesus. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Number one, have you come to him? If you haven't, today's your day, friend. Come to Jesus. And if you have, keep on coming. Keep on following. What does that mean? It means you ought to be someone who's daily communing with him, and by the grace of God, you ought to seek to get as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Did you know that Mark uses the term the 12? That's an interesting expression, the 12, 10 times. 10 times this one gospel record, this little expression, the 12, the 12, the 12. But watch, I want you to go deeper than the 12. And I want you to see the three. And I want you to say by the grace of God today, Lord, I don't want to just be content to be in the number. I don't want to be content to just say I'm in the church. Oh, Lord, I want to get as close to you as I possibly can. I want to be as near to Jesus as I can be. I want my life to be every day drawing nearer and nearer to Christ until the day that finally, oh, what a glorious day it will be, either through death or through the rapture. I prefer the rapture, and I'm hoping and praying for that. But through one means or another, I step out of this world into the very presence of Jesus Christ forever. Isn't that going to be glorious? Well, when that day comes, wouldn't it be wonderful at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus if you could say that you'd lived your life ever drawing nearer and nearer to Christ, becoming the disciple that Jesus called you to be. Father, teach us today. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher now. Work in us and work on us. Put to death in us, Lord, the things that don't need to live and make us hungry and thirsty again for the things you have for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm praying for me now. Help me to be a true follower of Christ. Bring me nearer, even this Lord's day. And speak to the precious people gathered in this room and others who will join us. May the Word of God do a deep work in us today, Lord. 
Help us all take the next step. And I thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.